welcome to Revolutionary Women. My name is Tess Silverman. Women around the world are constantly creating ways to make a difference in their communities, and today's guest is no exception. Hello, RevWoman listeners. Transgender Day of Visibility is March 31st. To honor this event, I'm re-releasing my conversation with Heather Rogue, stand-up comedian, spoken word poet, and activist this week. My guest today is Heather Rogue. Heather is a stand-up comedian based out of Sacramento, California. Formerly a traveling street performer and homeless activist, Heather settled in Sacramento in order to facilitate her gender transition. She worked as a journalist and writing tutor before discovering her true calling in stand-up comedy. She currently hosts shows at Sacramento's oldest comedy club, Laughs Unlimited. She's also a spoken word poet and has published two poetry chapbooks. On top of hosting a news comedy show during the pandemic, she's a two-time MC for the Sacramento Women's March, served as board member for the Trans and Non-Binary Housing Alliance, and currently works as a barista at Starbucks. Hi, Heather. Welcome to Revolutionary Woman. How are you today? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Okay, so um, for those who don't know who you are, can you give us a little brief summary about yourself? Um, uh, okay. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm Heather Rogue. I'm a stand-up comedian based in Sacramento, California. Um, and, uh, I am, um, a transgender woman and that is, um, a content of a lot of my stand-up comedy. Um, uh, yeah. Um, well, I mean, don't worry, we can go from there. So, so I, I read that you're from, you're, like you said, you're from California, and you call yourself a lifelong traveler. Can you tell me more about that? Why you? Oh yeah. Okay. Um, sure. So I, uh, I mean, I was born like uh, in Truckee near Tahoe, um, uh, and I, um, I, I think I moved when I was like thirteen to the Bay Area. Then I um, moved when I was like seventeen. I don't think I lived anywhere for longer than four years since I was a kid. Oh wow. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, um, and I. Uh, I lived in Utah for a while and then I um, just started hitchhiking and I became like a traveling street performer for a few years. Okay. Um, Yeah. So I used to like, I I used to guess people's birthdays along with like other things. Yeah. But that would be my, that would be my main magic trick. Um, (laughs) That's awesome. And it was, yeah, people loved it. So it, it kind of, it got me by while Mm -hmm. I was, and then I was, you know, I would write poetry and, um, It'd go to music festivals and uh, that sort of thing. And it just, it suited me for a while. I was also like a, a kind of a homeless activist. Like I was a freedom sleeper oh, um, wow. in Santa Cruz. Uh, yeah. Um, I used to uh, join Keith McHenry to sleep um, on the Capitol there. And um, I was also part of Huff, the homeless united for french i don't remember friendship and freedom i don't remember Mm. what it was called but Mm -hmm. other but other various organizations that i would i would work with to try and advocate for homeless rights i've always been like a homeless activist you Mm -hmm. know i think that it's um though i chose it like most homeless people don't right they Mm -hmm. they're they're not able to maintain a job right um and even if they do choose it, like maybe they're just veterans and their PTSD just makes it intolerable to hold a job for them. And they just feel better mm. with that freedom that comes along with it. Mm-hmm. I think that people should be allowed to make that choice, too. I think that 
whether people want to be housed or unhoused, they, they deserve rights. They deserve not to be kind of looked down upon. Mm-hmm. Eventually, right. I, um, eventually, I just realized that I needed to transition and my lifestyle just wasn't um, like facilitating that process very well. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I moved back in with my mom. I went back to school. Um, I got a degree in journalism and I started and I started my transition then that was like 2016. Um, So I began hormone therapy like, yeah, the first during the summer of Donald Trump's first year in office. Okay. Uh Um, That's how that's how I'm able to remember it is Uh like. Yeah. I remember my first article as a journalist for the school newspaper was asking students how they felt about Trump's inauguration, you know, uh-huh. so that's wow. like how I'm able to like mark events in my head, um, which is, yeah. That's pretty cool. So do you still write for, um, for uh, are you still a journalist besides doing comedy? No, um I was working as like a cannabis journalist Mm -hmm. with like plans to do more serious journalism. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was also, yeah, um, I just was like, I don't know. I'm not able to do things that don't set my heart on fire. And it just wasn't like a direct enough route. Right. You know, and I was getting very, um, I was getting mildly disillusioned with the industry because I realized I didn't have like the freedom to express myself that I was hoping for Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't have that for a very long time Mm -hmm. you know working in the industry Mm -hmm. and not only that but um just the process of like the labor that comes along with following up on sources and um hunting down statements from public figures who are trying to stonewall you and et cetera, et cetera. It's all very important work, but it's, it, it's not paying enough as a freelance journalist. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like comedy pays about the same, I think in terms of like, I'd probably do, you know, two, um, two live shows a week and make a hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, Versus, you know, 200 bucks for an article as a freelance journalist, which is so much more labor intensive, you know. Yeah, for sure. And and then comedy also just provides that sense of meaning and that sense of purpose much more directly because I'm not doing nine fluff pieces in order to do one meaningful article. And I'm, I'm not answering to anybody except like the club and the audience, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And the bookers. Mm-hmm. Um, which they they bring their own kind of like expectations, right? And so there's still, it's not all just like say what you want in the comedy scene. You still have to um, play the game to an extent in order to make it to a level where you really have that freedom of expression. Mm-hmm. But along the way, I still feel like I'm instantly able to, you know, break down barriers and like spread my message um, wow. to people. Oh, thank you for that. Um, so you came out at um, the age of 27. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Okay. So how, how was that experience for you? And how was, how was it received? I mean, what was it like growing up being perceived by society as one way? And then you thought of yourself and saw yourself as, as who you are? Uh-huh. 
I mean, what, um, what was it like? And I mean, I, and also because, you know, I in I, I'm part Asian, and in the Asian uh-huh. culture, you know, that uh, there's no such thing as gay. <laughs> you know, it's like so. Right. And it's I I don't I don't think I could really um, you know relate to it as in terms of what. In terms of being a, a trans person, but you know, in I know someone who was in in somewhere in my family, but it was never talked about. And you know, like you kind of assume, but nobody would ever say anything. So there was always the stigma. So what was it like for you growing up, and then and then eventually when you came out? Yeah, um, there was a tremendous amount of shame and. Mm. You know, it was not like my family even necessarily. Like my family obviously was continuing just the same expectations as the rest of society. Mm. I feel like it's just our society in in general that was really culpable. And Mm. I feel like everyone else is more like an unknowing participant in these expectations that they didn't even realize were like torturing me, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And, um... Yeah, so I I kind of like I suffered quietly um, because like I didn't really understand and it wasn't always bad. Like a lot of times it was just it was kind of like a quiet background noise of just like, yeah, I wish I was a girl, but I just it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes it was very loud and almost life threatening. And in mm-hmm. those times, it was like very difficult for me to handle gender dysphoria Um and I did almost, you know, uh, I, I did almost lose my life a few times, oh, um, ultimately due to, I'd say, gender dysphoria. Um, wow. But I, um, you know, I uh, eventually, yeah, and I, you know, I didn't necessarily understand that I was transgender at first. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when I understood... Um, that it was a thing. I just, what, what, what happened was like, I understood I was transgender, but I didn't think that I was capable of transitioning. And I think, and I thought that I just had to live my life as a guy, or I just continued questioning, you know, I'm not a real transgender. I'm just like the mentally ill type of person Hmm. or whatever it is. And I was always kind of like under too undecided, um, to, to come out and transition. So I kind of, I'd come out as like non-binary to my friends, but I never enforced pronouns or anything like that. It mm. was just like a background fact, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I was like, obviously I was like breaking the binary um, in lots of ways. Since my early twenties, I'd been, you know, wearing nail polish and stuff like that, but I'd always excuse it as just like, Oh, you know, I'm just challenging expectations right like it takes Mm. a real secure man to not care you know Mm. and that sort of um right that sort of justification Mm -hmm. but then um eventually like what happened was i was homeless um in uh, i was i was in berkeley at the time and um i was someone gave me a um like a free makeover Mm -hmm. for sephora oh cool Uh uh-huh yeah, and I already had long hair, and um, 
I, I, I grabbed some femme clothes from the thrift store across the street mm-hmm. or like someone who was going to actually donate fe- a feminine clothes to that thrift store just gave them to me instead is mm-hmm. um, really what happened. But yeah, so like, and then, you know, I, um, yeah, so the, I decided I was just going to like treat myself and take a, like, take a solid try at, at drag which I'd done a couple times in my life, but it wasn't, you know, super successful. But this time with the professional makeover and everything like that, mm-hmm. um, and I got like a haircut and had my hair blown out and everything. And so um, when I looked in the mirror, when the makeover was done, that's when I realized that I could actually like um, feel like a woman, mm-hmm. like that I could feel like myself and mm-hmm. that's when i saw my myself like actually looking back at me through the mirror for the first time because you know i passed enough that i saw a woman in the mirror mm-hmm. and that's that was enough for me and you know since then i've like worked through my issues with passing and with you know conventional attractiveness but at the time that was i think a major hurdle wow. for me to finally you know um transition it wasn't that i needed to know i was trans it was that i needed to know i could live as a woman Mm -hmm. and not just be seen and see myself as like um you know uh a man in a dress i guess Mm -hmm. is the term wow that's amazing and you know that must was do you think that that was when you saw yourself and felt like a woman and felt like that was you, that was the real you. Yeah. Uh, that's amazing. And it's unfortunate that, you you know, that actually had to happen years later. Um, yeah. But it's great that you, you realized it and felt it. And once you did, you were like, okay, this is it. This is me. Um, and, I mean, did you, did you um, experience any discrimination growing up? Um, you know, or at least when you came out, did you experience anything that was um, derogatory or or dangerous for you? Um, yeah, I was um, like um, the first time I actually came out as a trans woman. I think um, I was I, I almost um, I was almost murdered essentially and I I was sent to oh, the wow. hospital beaten so badly that like I couldn't see cuz my face had swollen shut around oh, my, my eyes gosh. and my nose was um broken and um oh wow yeah so I was like really severely beaten oh. um it was it was like a complicated situation and at the time my dysphoria was so bad that I was drinking myself very heavily and just like kind of hurting my social ties already Mm. and then one night during a blackout I came out as trans and like woke up beaten and told I got in a fight with a woman and I was like oh that like I don't I didn't know how to like sincerely apologize they also told me I came out as trans and then she was like she started a fight for that so it's like I didn't really know how to apologize for that right and then I fought back so everyone um beat me up and so but then my apology wasn't sincere enough and so a few days later um two skinheads came and like basically beat me within an inch of my life threatened to bury me in the woods oh my god um they yeah and uh 
they tracked oh. my teeth. They, um, yeah, they really busted my face pretty badly. Oh, Heather. Um, and uh, so that happened um, in Austin, Texas, when right. I was oh, still boy. traveling. That was like the closest I've ever. There was a, another time I came pretty close to dying when I was traveling. But it wasn't at all related to being trans or, or coming out or anything. It was just um, because my my road dog started a fight with the. Uh, um, uh, I can I swear on this oh, show because yeah. literally mm-hmm. the name that they call themselves are the Scum Fucks, right in oh, San Francisco. Geez. And wow. he started a fight with them, and they wanted to beat him up. They let me go, but I couldn't let that happen to my friend. So. Um, they were like hitting him with a smiley, which is like a metal object hanging from a chain. Mm. And then the other one had like brass knuckles. And so I had like mace in my pocket. So uh-huh. I pulled out the mace and uh-huh. I sprayed them in the face. But uh-huh. they were all like high on meth and stuff. So it just made them really angry. Oh my gosh. And um, they pulled their like Bowie knives out and oh, chased wow. us through the woods. Oh my gosh. Um, they, they got all our stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't kill us, luckily, but they got all their stuff. So then we ended up kind of like stranded in San Francisco without even sleeping bags. We ended up like sleeping by the uh, subway entrance to stay warm. Wow. Um, it was, yeah. So. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, that, yeah, I can't even imagine. And and I'm so glad you're alive, Heather. And it's just incredible what you've been through. Um and does that, I, I can't even, like, people are really, oof, okay, people are insane. Um, and, wow, um, that's, that's really, I'm so sorry that happened to you. So, since you've come out, um, has safety been better or worse since you transitioned? Um, yeah, you know, I haven't been in a single fight since I transitioned. I'm very fortunate that I um, I can pass a cisgender for the most part. Like mm-hmm. my voice natural my voice doesn't pass at like like right now, but if I can make I can make it pass for like a minute, you know, mm-hmm. if I need to talk. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah well. it's been it's gotten better because I have passing privilege. Mm. Um and, and and it's also just better not being like homeless and in situations where there's you know mm. um there's skinheads and scumfucks yeah. around and stuff like that wow but um yeah like that's really I've, scary oh my gosh i'm sorry um, go there, ahead there has been like a couple of like things but they're not I don't know. I, they're, they're like triggering because I have had such violent events in my past that mm-hmm. like I do worry for my safety, even when small, like little, um, I don't know. I don't necessarily want to call them small, but you know, just like when you just like vindictive people who are trying to, you get know, a, get a, yeah, get a, get a rise you. out of you. Yeah. Get right? a dig in you. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Um, but mostly like, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a, roast comedian like that's mm-hmm. one of my major things that i do is i do i do roasts mm-hmm. i'm my record in roast battles are seven and one and so generally speaking like mm. it's kind of like to me it's like a vaccine for the haters i think hannah gadsby <laughs> said that oh, in, um uh-huh. yeah 
that's so that's like that's um that's kind of how I look at it is like I'm generally not too affected. I just find it kind of like boring and cringy, you know, mm-hmm. when I get um misgendered like deliberately. Mm-hmm. I don't like I don't like getting misgendered accidentally <laughs> and like mm-hmm. it does kind of cause problems, especially when I'm at work and it happens like I can have issues, you know, getting my job done because I'm supposed to be providing customer service to someone who's like unknowingly being extremely disrespectful. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard for me to necess- to, to deal with miscommunication in all those situations when I do get misgendered. But for the most part, um, yeah, mm. there's also like systemic problems that I've had since I transitioned. And those I would say, are like my major issues when it comes to actually battling the system in order to like legally change my name and acquire um, medical treatment, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. like all of those things have been the most challenging aspect. Um, I've lost a lot of friends from my past, but they don't, they didn't belong. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's, I think natural for people when they change and grow. Yeah. Um, Uh But for the but it's been like the amount of people who support me definitely. I mean, I've always and I believe I've taken this philosophy when I traveled too because I've had I've had times traveling when things were very very difficult and mm. I've I've been stranded and just could not catch a break mm. and was just like I, I remember sitting in fact in a gas station one time racking up all the complaints I had for that day of just like how much crap I'd been through. I just like gave up and went to the gas station to buy a beer. But then it turned out I was in Arkansas on a Sunday and couldn't get a beer. (laughs) And so that was like the last (laughs) job. So then I, I got a sandwich and just sat inside and was like so upset. And then I realized I'm eating a sandwich and I'm indoors Mm. with like air conditioning. Right. And I just like started there and it changed my whole, I was able to suddenly let go of that Mm. whole um, weight that I was carrying of like all of these complaints I had because technically they were in the past now mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and so I was just able to hold on to that gratitude that I had and then I, I stepped outside and I started like asking people if they were headed west mm-hmm. and they were all rejecting me and mm-hmm. like one guy was like yes but I mean and then he just shrugged and motioned at me like come on mm-hmm. um, and uh, then the lady that was working in the gas station came out and she asked me how I was doing. And I said, fine. And she asked me if I had any problems with the police. Mm. And I said, yeah. And I told her what had happened in West Memphis with the police, which is a whole other story, Mm -hmm. but basically they ran us out of town. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she said, well, if they give you any problems here, just step inside the gas station because they're not allowed on private property. And uh, that, yeah, it's, it honestly still kind of like makes me well up remembering that wow. situation because that tiny little piece of kindness uh-huh. was like so important. And it was at that moment when I realized like it, you know, the, the stars in the sky are outnumbered by the darkness, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it really doesn't matter because they still shine bright enough right. that it makes it, you know, beautiful. Yeah. I love that. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Um, Okay, so you're a comedian, and you said one of the things that you do is you do roasts. Um, Is that 
primarily your focus, or do you focus on anything else with your comedy? Yeah, I'm only I may I mainly focus on just stand up comedy. Mm. Um, roast battles are like kind of uh, something I definitely do as part of my comedy. Like, if anyone offers to book me on a roast show, I do it. Mm-hmm. But I am doing, yeah, typically no. about about two book shows and you know maybe five open mics a week where I'm just working on my my set you know mm-hmm. okay um so what was my next question was so what was it that you know that inspired you to get into comedy or what was you know was it something that happened to you where you said okay this i am a comedian and this is what i want to do yeah and it's like it's kind of there's been multiple moments mm-hmm. um but like my first time on stage was motivated by different things than what eventually caused me to take comedy very seriously mm-hmm. and like start actually going three times a week and being very committed at it. Mm-hmm. And so um, the, uh, the, like, like I, I almost look at it. Yeah. Like two different, like when people ask me when I started comedy, it's almost like I, there's like two different starts in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so the, I, I, I first got on stage, um, I don't, I'm, I'm already a spoken word poet, so mm-hmm. I'm used to crowds, mm-hmm. but, but trying comedy for the first time, um, was I think partially motivated because my, one of my close friends had committed suicide a little while before then. Oh, wow. And I was, I was grieving mm-hmm. and, um, I always used comedy to grieve Mm -hmm. um and um i was invited by my friend who was trying to cheer me up to this uh open mic Mm -hmm. and i went ahead and signed up because why the fuck not Mm -hmm. and um like at that point it's like i really didn't feel like i had anything to lose or or anything to care about regarding what people think of me Mm -hmm. um so that was kind of a helpful uh yeah a helpful like state of mind to finally stand on stage and like tell a bunch of suicide jokes which Mm -hmm. i did Mm -hmm. and um i also told trans jokes and those ones got laughs and the suicide jokes got um uh silence Mm. um so it was like a mixed bag Uh but i felt good telling all of them um (laughs) but yeah i'm sure it was cathartic for you right and that's you know they call it free therapy Mm. um Mm -hmm. I don't think that free therapy necessarily makes it into a showcase, <laughs> but you can yeah. always you can always do that at an open mic. Okay. And what and was? I, um, I took comedy much more seriously, like probably eight months later. Um, uh, Dave Chappelle had released Sticks and Stones on Netflix, and he had trans jokes in it, and he had trans jokes in his last few specials as well, which also like. They kind of motivated me enough, but I was working for two different magazines. I was a writing tutor. I was going to school. I had this mm. toxic boyfriend to deal with. So I had like way too much on my plate. Mm-hmm. And then um, luckily for me, Sticks and Stones came out while I was already kind of like having a mental breakdown. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it was like I was already playing hooky on this magazine I was supposed to be writing a story for. And like I just couldn't motivate myself to 
hunt these sources down who weren't like responding to their emails, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I also uh, wasn't pitching ideas to my other newspaper and I was supposed to be um, going back and enrolling in classes and I just dropped all my classes mm -hmm. and, um, or I never even enrolled. And so I lost my tutoring job through the college and uh, I was also trying my best to break up with my toxic boyfriend, but that took a lot of time mm -hmm. and that's a whole other story. But mm -hmm. um, I definitely pushed him as far away as I could during that time and really just like focused on um, comedy. Mm -hmm. And that was like the only thing in my life. And I couldn't really handle anything else because everything else at the time was like, you know, uh, weighing me down and yeah. making me be somebody I wasn't. And comedy was the one thing that w I, I was walking away, you know, feeling renewed, mm. feeling like catharsis, feeling like healing. Mm -hmm. And so it started from there. Um, wow. it's when it really started. I love that. Okay. So from that point on, you're like, okay, this is, this is what I want to do. And yeah, that's really, so have you gotten, um, have you been in different shows? Have you gotten a lot of bookings and, and do you continue, have you continued also with being a, a spoken word poet or that stopped? That has mostly stopped. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm, I don't know. I'm working on a poem right now and I've written probably, I've written a couple this year. I've written, uh, I wrote probably three last year. So it's like slowed down mm -hmm. mostly because, and the only reason, like I'm working on this poem right now, cause it's just a feeling that I can't put into a joke. So mm -hmm. I have to make it a poem. It's like the only resource I have so that, you know, this current, um, feeling that I I've been going through for a couple months now doesn't mm. eat alive. Right. So mm -hmm. I, it's like one art, one resource I still have, um, that I can draw upon, mm -hmm. which is like, I, I, you know, I have the ability to like express myself so that like I can get understanding mm -hmm. somehow. Right. Um, yeah. whatever way that it is, but yeah. Uh, Comedy has been going very, very well. Oh, so I, I've been touring in L.A., Portland, San Francisco, Sacramento. Oh, that's I'm, awesome. Um, I, I'm about to start hosting weekends at um, Sacramento's oldest comedy club, uh, Laughs Unlimited. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, you can that's catch great. me, you know. Yeah, I actually um, saw, I, I saw parts of your um, show on different youtube um youtube shows so well actually one of them was um you did a thing with two comedy gals and this i was i i saw the whole thing and in that show you mentioned that you were doing a show called so fucking funny and it was rated by white supremacists on zoom i was like oh my gosh first of all how crazy was that and but how did you handle that and how were they stopped? Um, yeah, that that was the the so fucking funny show, um, sofa king funny out of San Diego. Mm -hmm. um, it was a Zoom show, which I was doing a lot of Zoom shows during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, they they're not fun, but you gotta you gotta keep working. Mm -hmm. You know, you gotta get your reps in. Mm -hmm. So 
I, I was doing this show and yeah, um, they raided during my set, which I don't know if it was deliberately during my set, like mm. if they targeted me mm-hmm. or if the or if they just targeted a vulnerable Zoom meeting where the Zoom address was like public, we posted so people didn't have to buy tickets in advance and um, or at least maybe the way to buy tickets in advance was publicly posted, but it was free or something mm-hmm. like that. So mm-hmm. however it worked. Yeah. They all managed to get wow. the um, invitation link, and so they raided it. Oh and my gosh. Zoom shows are particularly vulnerable because it's like, imagine a comedy show, but you give everybody a microphone, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And like, not even a microphone, but they can just like put their video on porn and play that, oh you know? Gosh. And, oh my and gosh. it's happened. Yeah. It's oh happened. Wow. Um, uh, a couple of times there it's happened it happens pretty freak it happened like frequently oh people ha- especially at the beginning so people definitely like had to learn how to protect themselves mm-hmm. but because it happened during my set um i think people assumed i'd been targeted i don't know but mm. you know like i never checked the the white supremacist forums to see why they chose that particular show yeah but um people were very sympathetic and so they gave me a whole bunch of money oh, like so oh, like cool. i don't yeah and it's disappointing i also got another booking out of it because one of the other comedians um like the headliner or just i don't know he's like a bigger comedian mm-hmm. and um and he put me on his show because he said his fans liked me before the white supremacists ruined my set mm. and they want they demanded that he put me on his show so they could see my whole set you know oh that's awesome and how did it go um it went okay Mm. i haven't been on since i i've been doing live comedy now i can't stand the the zoom the zoom yeah 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 i was gonna ask you so how how was it for you during the pandemic i mean how did you spend your time and energy but i mean you did zoom shows but was that you know, was that primarily what you did? And, and and did you do anything else outside of that? Um, I also took a comedy class. Oh. Um, yeah, uh, through, it's called the Misfit Toys Comedy Studio. I was like um, the, the first generation of students. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like... Um, the teacher was like testing his model out on us. Mm-hmm. So for me, he, like he basically posted calling out for um, LGBT women to be um, that and like to post clips. And I sent him my clip and um, he invited me to be like, I guess, the prototype class for this this class that he, he runs now. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and that's Iggy Loves Sky. Um, great guy. And like he he's really um, he really knows his stuff, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it, it definitely was like great to work with him. Mm-hmm. It also like, because that he sent that out kind of near the start of COVID, mm-hmm. it also, um, kind of kept me motivated to keep mm-hmm. growing my comedy craft during COVID. Mm-hmm. And it, and it definitely fed into getting me to do more zoom shows, you know, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm in order to keep practicing and in order to test out all of the theory that he was giving me. And so, 
Uh-huh. Yeah, so I didn't rest. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's trauma blocking. Maybe it's Maybelline. We'll never know. <laughs> but in I'm a way, <laughs> I like that. But in a way, it's good because you made yourself, you know, you you learned more and, and definitely made sure that, you know, you could hone your craft more um, and and get more jobs out of that. That's pretty cool. Um, in your zoo, where, you know, whether you're in Zoom or not. And it's, uh, I mean, so many people just didn't know what they wanted to do or were kind of stuck when the pandemic hit, you know. So that's great that you you found a way to not just be sitting by yourself, you know. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, and I mean, and I'm not trying to um, say like, yeah, you should have gotten with it because everyone (laughs) handles like those kinds of events in their own way Mm. and that's for some Mm. people that was just the healthiest thing for them to do is is to slow down right um and for me the healthiest thing to do i think um i don't know i had already had a mental breakdown and like environmental change was definitely a contributing factor and Mm. so when six months later suddenly everything had become quarantined Mm -hmm. it's like everyone else is freaking out and i'm like welcome aboard this train that i've been on Uh, you know yeah um and so like to me it's like i had already adjusted and it was almost comforting that everyone else finally understood Mm -hmm. um um social problems were as bad as i thought they were Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. oh wow okay and well, you also have, um, is, is this, you're also on Stab Comedy Theater, where you do oh. news job? Is that something that you still do? Yeah, no, um, that was a quarantine show. Stab has switched back to live comedy, and oh. I have not, I have not yet begun um, hosting a live shows there. Maybe, maybe soon, right now, I'm keeping my options open, okay. and I don't want to commit to, um, to like losing a day of the month that could go to um, other shows and opportunities and tours. And that's basically why the show discontinued is because it was on Saturdays, Mm. which I was getting booked consistently. (laughs) That's not Um, a bad problem to have. Right. It wasn't. (laughs) Yeah. But that's the thing is like, until people get sick of me, I (laughs) am still keeping my options open. But okay. So what is, for those who don't know, what is the, segment news job about so it's a it's a news comedy game show Uh, and basically uh i was i was trying to do my own you know take on the daily show and the other cool various Uh clones that have come out since but the spin that i put on it is like instead of me personally trying to write jokes to make light of all of these very serious tragic news stories that were Mm -hmm. happening Mm -hmm. i um I made a game show, and when the contestants got an answer wrong, mm-hmm. then I just read a news story. <laughs> oh, jeez. Like news of the day, that kind of thing? It was punishment. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that's cl- <laughs> that's great. Oh, my gosh. It was <laughs> at a time when everyone was very much, like, they were all trying to avoid the news, so mm-hmm. it, I felt like it really worked <laughs> in that like oh, you yeah. literally you can't like digest like even john oliver it's like i still like even if you make jokes about it i'm still gonna get depressed right mm-hmm. even trevor mm-hmm. noah it's mm-hmm. like 
Yep. So I was like, let's just embrace that. Yeah. And, and then it'll almost, it almost kind of works as a juxtaposition where I would like be in a comedy show and then suddenly break into this monotone <laughs> reading of a really terrible news story. Yeah. Oh my God. And then the contestants can recover points by trying to make light of it. But ah. then I would kind of play the straight man and just be sort of offended by anything they were saying because it's <laughs> like, you it's know, supposed to be news. massacres and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, it's supposed to be news. That's that's brilliant. That's really good. I like that one. Oh, my gosh. Um, okay, so you see yourself. I read it. You see yourself or actually I heard you see your, you see yourself as an introvert. But I mean, you're a spoken word poet and doing comedy how do you combine the introvert and the extrovert <laughs> um yeah you know it's almost uh i could almost diagnose it as like stand-up comedian disorder mm. um <laughs> i i like to communicate in a one-way situation like mm -hmm. i definitely want to express myself mm -hmm. um but I, I can find social situations like draining um i don't know i think introvert you know, it's, I don't know where I wrote that, but wherever it is, I don't know. I don't know if I would necessarily even bother with labels at all. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. If I can avoid it, at mm -hmm. least. Like, I, I use the necessary ones that help me communicate information. Mm -hmm. um, I guess, yeah, but I am definitely an introvert. And I think a lot of comedians are. Mm -hmm. um, we like our short doses of like we like, you know, being the center of attention, mm -hmm. but we don't necessarily like being part of crowds or competing for attention all the time. You know, yeah, like bursts of it is fine. Right. Is that, okay. Yeah, I always wondered about that. It's like you know, because when I read about someone who's like an introvert, it's like, yeah, but you're in the limelight, so you know. Right. But I guess I like the, I like the limelight just fine, but don't talk to me mm. <laughs> after the show and like expect me to be able to socially engage i'm so i mean and actually i want to correct that i do invite fans to talk to me just keep your expectations low uh you know <laughs> okay oh my gosh okay so is there someone you would credit for where you are now um yeah, so I did name drop Iggy Love Sky earlier. He's mm -hmm. my one of my one of my mentors. I've I've got more local mentors that I definitely look up to in Sacramento who have been a big part of my growth um, in the local comedy scene. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and then I also have um, I you know, and I also name dropped Dave Chappelle. Right, it was almost like a mm -hmm. negative motivation because mm -hmm. he like offended me enough to get me yeah. like dissatisfied enough that I knew that I had to do it. Like mm -hmm. um, I knew I had to be a comedian. It was no longer like, Oh, maybe I should take this more seriously. It was like, no, screw this guy. I'm going to do these jokes, not mm -hmm. him, mm -hmm. you know, but, um, or him, but I'm going to do them better. Cause I'll get everybody laughing. Mm -hmm. um, but that was like my take and that was a big part of it. Mm -hmm. But, Oof. And then there's, yeah, I've had some, you know, tons and tons of people like that I'm incredibly grateful for. There's people, you know, regarding being transgender, mm -hmm. um, like I had to catch up on, you know, 20 years of growing up as a woman in three years. Right. So mm -hmm. I, I also credit my, my close friends for being part of that process. Um, wow. Yeah. 
and uh, even the ones that I, I don't talk to anymore, but were there for part of the journey, you mm. know. I love that. Okay. And so do you have any goals currently? I mean, besides comedy, do you have anything that you would like to accomplish, you know, that you haven't tried yet? Yeah, I want to make a TV show. Huh. Um, I, I, um, I mean, I have my, my little pitch Bible, but but um and what would it be about what would what would you like it to be about oh well two best friends one of them's transgender the other cisgender the cisgender one is 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 as ignorant as the general public (laughs) and is you know quite the character um and then the trans character is actually the more straight man kind of character where she's like uh the the audience surrogate and they have no choice but to relate to her because the cis person is so out there so mm. it kind of like shifts people's perspective okay um yeah so that's 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 basically what i'm looking at and cool. then cool besides that it's it's very flexible okay. um huh. as far as tone goes but yeah um that's if any if any producers heard that or if anyone wants to crowdfund that and um get the wheels running let me know yep you'll be open for it okay um and so where do you think you see yourself in five years with your comedy and personally um i'm hoping to reach global audiences like so that i can you know expose everyone to my comedy and my message Mm. um and that's ultimately what i want to do is i want to get everybody in the world laughing at these jokes that by laughing at them you're also kind of agreeing at how you know ridiculous these myths are about my community and Mm -hmm. everything else right Mm. um and so that's that yeah that's my ultimate goal that's what i want to accomplish and however i get that done Mm-hmm. is 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 fine with me um you mentioned a while back that you were an activist for the homeless um are you still involved with that and i mean do you see yourself doing that even more so especially with a pandemic um i would like to i'm mm-hmm. also recognizing um where i I'm able to operate from a place um, that is is not depleting, but is mm. refilling and is able to it allows me to kind of like sustain my work, mm-hmm. you know, so that I don't get burned out. Yeah. And I'm and I'm just recognizing the fact that there's certain things, there's certain work that I can do that is impactful mm-hmm. and also like feeds me back. And it's more artistic work than you know community organizing mm-hmm. um and dealing with the issues uh, um yeah. all of the bureaucracy that and paperwork that comes along with that because mm-hmm. i'm severely bad with paperwork mm-hmm. and um yeah uh so that's sort of like yeah so so it's like i i really do want to continue supporting all of the organizations you know that i've worked Mm -hmm. with in the past like the trans and non-binary housing alliance and the women's march and all these other groups that Mm i um have have like organized with before but Uh i um i want to do so from a position where it's like i can contribute um 
just like the resources that I, I can get right. from doing, you Your know, shows. from being successful at my art. Right. I get it. Yeah. So is there anything you'd like to say to my listeners, especially young people who are trying to get into comedy? Um, that's a that's a good question. If they're trying to get into comedy, um, uh, I have been asked this question before, and I always have a sarcastic answer because mm. it's always like a comedy podcast. I'll just say <laughs> don't, yeah. you know, or yeah. just, you know. But if it's like, like, and that's I think I want to broaden that. But if comedy is that thing that sets your heart on fire, mm-hmm. and that rejuvenates you as you do it and that enables you to feel like you're making an impact Mm -hmm. and also like you know convinces you that you're making an impact right like Mm -hmm. i i i see people whose minds change you know Mm -hmm. and i get like a lot of feedback that proves to me that i'm making an impact so for me that is part of it and i think that that's a critical part for me i can't just you know feel like i'm doing good because i recycled I have to know there's results happening Mm -hmm. and it's, you know, a long connection I make between like making people less afraid of trans people and ultimately, you know, chipping away at the hate that motivates them to vote against climate policies. Right. right? But I still make that connection enough to know that I'm making an impact regarding my bigger goals as well. Mm -hmm. And I suggest, you know, to young people is like, yeah, find that purpose that that does that that no matter how much rejection you might receive Mm -hmm. it's like because you know i bombed when i started comedy you're gonna bomb Mm -hmm. not just when i started but since Mm -hmm. i'll do jokes now and people's expectations are higher so Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. and i'm in bigger shows and i'm still doing jokes that just like completely don't work Mm -hmm. and it's like to have the backbone and the, the the thick skin to get through that sort of situation it's like you you have to know not just that that's what you want to do, but that it's who you are, mm. you know, uh-huh. and ultimately that's what I suggest to everyone is like, be who you are, do who you are. Mm. That's awesome. And if you had one thing to change that you wish had changed years ago, you had done years ago, what would it be? It's hard to pick one thing, but I guess I would transition earlier if I mm. could. Okay. I would have started puberty blockers as early as I could of mm-hmm. course mm-hmm. I grew up in a small town where trans people didn't exist even when I moved to the Bay Area at 13 and mm-hmm. like gay people came to school to tell us about the LGBT community mm-hmm. I was still misinformed about what trans people were and it persuaded me to think of myself as mentally ill for wow. quite some time before I realized that I was also trans you know mm-hmm. and so like I um I don't know. I really wish that there had been someone in my past who could have been, you know, in everyone's living rooms on TV, showing mm. them another example of who they could be. Right. And last question is, if you could go back in time, what would you tell your younger self? Take the pills. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess it, it it is ultimately it comes down to don't let other people's expectations run your life. Hmm. Okay. I love that. Thank you. Okay. Heather, oh my goodness. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time and your stories. And 
I'm so glad you came on the show. I mean, I, I learned so much about you and, and, you know, how you maneuvered, you know, how you navigate throughout your life and still continue to do so. And, you know, I, I, the bits that I've seen of your show is pretty, is pretty cool. I love that, um, the way you, you navigate you know, your, your uh, segment on dating. I was just like, oh, okay, yep, <laughs> I understand that one. <laughs> I, was like, I, I, I got that. Um, but thank you. Yeah, that and, that, that and the pregnant one that was like, oh, okay, yep, I get oh, that yeah. too. <laughs> so, but for those who don't know, um, like how to get in touch with you, um, how would they do so? Um, you can follow me on Instagram uh, at Heather underscore comedy underscore rogue. Um, that's R-O-G-U-E, as in a, a, you know, a scoundrel, right? Mm -hmm. A rogue. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and uh, I also, you can look me up that way on, on Facebook. Okay. Um, and uh, uh, also on, you know, YouTube, if you want to see those clips. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you again for, for spending this time with me and um, for all your, you know, oh, geez. Like your stories of, you know, of of having to get out of, you know, or, of living your life and and being a lifelong traveler, and now like being in comedy full time. That's really cool, and and I really appreciate it. And uh, you know, I really hope that you continue, and I hope that you know, you're you get so big that you'll be able to like say ha see told you <laughs> i was like i was able to i i this is me um and i really really love that you know you were with everything that you've gone through you know you are still you so but, thank you so much oh my gosh it was great to meet you same here all right well i will talk to you soon and have a good day all right bye bye that's our show for today. I've posted more information about Heather Rogue on RevWoman.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll tune in every Thursday for another episode of Revolutionary Woman. You can listen to Revolutionary Woman on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Just a little note. I've launched a Patreon account to support the show. All proceeds will go to producing and editing the episodes to give my poor husband a break for being my personal IT and production department. He wrote this. The address is patreon.com slash revwoman. <laughs>